Hello and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Strongberg. How's it going, Joel? Pretty good, Jennifer. How about you? Oh, very well. Thanks. So we're obviously all watching the shutdown of the U.S. federal government closely, right, as politicians go head to head head on Trump's border wall plan there. Um, Yeah, hopefully. It'll be interesting to see. (laughs) So I see news popping up. Like just in the last couple of hours, I noticed that Trump's looking at declaring a quote national security emergency to get his money for the wall, and I was just immediately taken back to last summer because that language is identical to what was used to try to win out over the energy industry when it refused to set up those special rules to fund failing coal power facilities. Uh, so Trump wanted to declare a national security emergency and force grid operators to buy coal power from those plants that are set to shut down, but everyone was not okay with that. And it quickly went really quiet. And eventually, like long about October, the whole plan was put away because there were problems with its legality. But here we are again with that same language cropping up. We are. And it's interesting, too, because a number of complications are going to come uh, into it if he does do the national emergency. He can't, even though they can find money um, in various places, in the Pentagon and um, some of the executive agencies, he doesn't, a president doesn't have the power um, to change the purpose of funds that have been appropriated by Congress. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Congress will be back into that mix again, and it doesn't really, it's not going to provide the answer, I think, that they think that it's going to provide. And, right, uh, right. Just like last year, I think it's going to go away quietly, but it works in terms of those big headlines that he likes to make, and then afterwards, whatever about the repercussions. <laughs> uh, that's right. And, and I think the other thing that um, they're going to factor in from the White House side of things is that Nancy Pelosi is actually winning the contest um, with the uh, with this uninviting him uh, to do the State of the Union in the chamber or what have you. I yeah. think that uh, they're going to start saying, you know, we, we can't have Pelosi and uh, Trump go at it in public for as long as Pelosi keeps winning. So it's going to be right. it's going to be a move to get this done in a hurry, uh, mm-hmm. or at least from here out. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, amidst all of that, uh, I understand you're seeing other executive orders, you know, whispers about what's going on in terms of like pipelines. What are you seeing there? That's right. I mean, what what we forget, I think, in in the midst of all um, these fire drills, if you will, that there's other business going on. And it's clear that word is now leaking out that there's going to be a series of executive orders out of the White House on energy and environment. My feeling is that um, they will emphasize fossil uh, fuels, pipelines in particular. A judge um, kept the uh, uh, the uh, stop order on the uh, Keystone line, uh, I guess it's end of December. Um, so it was, it was halted again. And I think what they're going to do is try to uh, use the executive orders in a way that strengthens what they want to do, thinking that they can avoid uh, court conflicts. And mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. Uh, another topic of the executive order is going to be water. Um, they still haven't put out a new waters of the U.S. rule. Um, I think also they'll probably do a, a cafe standard, for example, because they're 
they're having difficulty getting uh, not only agreement, but they know that they're on weak legal grounds as far as the auto emission standards are concerned mm-hmm. because the science isn't on their side. Um, and so what they'll, what they'll be trying to do, I think, is to try to do an executive end run. I honestly don't see many ways that their orders are going to be very successful. They're certainly going to be taken to court immediately. Um, and because they're so skewed to the fossil fuel side, um, that I think even some of the Republicans are going to start noticing the fact that they can't, they can't keep doing this if they expect to come out of uh, the 2020 elections uh, with anything approximating the number of seats that they hold at the moment. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, since we're talking about what's happening in Washington, what's the latest on, on any new committee assignments? What's going on there? Well, um, they've started to make some committee assignments, mostly for the standing committees. Um, the, it was interesting, too, because they put uh, several of the freshman uh, members of Congress, including uh, Ocasio-Cortez, on the Government Oversight Committee. And I think what that telegraphs is that they're, they're beginning to call, uh, for the committees are beginning to call for documents out of the White House. Um, and this is in anticipation of, of oversight investigations, and the emphasis is going to be on investigations. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons they're appointing freshmen um, is because they're, they're you, you can tell that the, the energy levels of these freshmen um, are really high. And I think that, uh, in part, this is going to be done to actually unnerve the White House as far as these oversight committee uh, areas are uh, concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, House Natural Resources, for example, has already started calling for Department of Interior um, documents because they're going to come back after Zinke as well, um, who has something like five ethics uh, probes going on. The the oddity, I think, in all of this is that the select committee that's been so much in the news lately, um, not only have they not started making appointments to it, but I've seen a couple of interviews where the freshmen aren't so anxious to get on this committee anymore. And I think think what's happening is there's a certain reality that's setting in that the select committee is, is good for some things, but it has no legislative authority. Um, and so I, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out uh, by the time that it's over. But clearly, climate is a big issue. Uh, Senator Murkowski from Alaska um, is actually working with, across the aisle with Democrats on a couple of pieces of legislation. Uh, one is a, uh, to make the land and water um, fund permanent, um, and she's she and uh, Senator Cantwell uh, are proposing those. And, and there's word coming out now where uh, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, I believe I mentioned him last time, mm-hmm. uh, and Murkowski are already working up with, uh, an agenda that will include a lot of discussion on climate, in, and they hope to put out a, a, an energy bill, at least a proposal um, this year, which, which is hopeful, I think, that uh, uh, it means that both sides um, of Capitol Hill will actually be working on legislation. Right. I mean, Murkowski is a bit of a mixed bag, though, I think, right? Being, being she, from Alaska. She, well, yeah, she is. I mean, and clearly, I mean, Alaska has, you know, a lot of fossil. Um, and right. she's supported this. For example, she supported uh, drilling in the Arctic. But she yeah. also, on a relative scale, she's one of the better environmentalists over on the Senate side. Right. Um, and she's also somebody that doesn't have any real problems. 
uh, working with Democrats, so that there's a bipartisan aspect. Her re-election has actually put her, uh, should be up for re-election in 2020. And she's going to be at, at odds with Trump um, between now and then. I mean, she's, she's already started um, lambasting as much as any Republican can lambast a Republican president. Right. But she also has, um, of, of all the states, percentage-wise, she has more federal workers in Alaska than anybody else does. And none of them are really working at the moment. Um, so it kind of bodes well, but it, it'll be interesting to see where this all turns out. The other thing that um, has been going on, especially on the House side, the, the Green New Deal obviously is, is, is a real lightning rod for attention. But now what's happening is that people want to see more details. And uh, Ocasio-Cortez has promised within the next week or 10 days that she'll be releasing some kind of a document with more details in it. The other thing that we see coming up is there's a lot more discussion going on now about uh, pricing carbon, whether it's cap and trade um, or a carbon tax. And Ocasio-Cortez has been lukewarm to that, as have a lot of the uh, the, the more left groups um, in the environmental community. Uh, and this is going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting trade to see if. If the, if the Green New Deal just serves as a uh, baseline, if you will, for a lot of individual uh, proposals. And I think that that's, things will start settling down. The Green New Deal will be talked about. It's actually it's, it's created a lot of activity, but when all is said and done, um, this is going to devolve back into the normal committee process uh, mm-hmm. where individual ideas, and my guess is that there will be some package of bills. Hopefully, the, the bills will actually relate to each other and not getting these kind of strings by right, for right. instance. <laughs> All right. Well, just one quick question on the committees. So with the select committee, is there some sort of a timeline for making those appointments, or could they just well, go on? Well, I mean, I'll, yeah, I, I, it's a good question. And I think that in, in some ways the, the um, shutdown is actually kind of Stalled everything out, and at least that's the excuse that's being given. And my guess is within the next week or so, week or 10 days, we'll have a pretty good idea of uh, all the committees, all the standing committees, um, and the select committee as well. Um, so I think that so much of the show has been, uh, it's been this dance around the, uh, the, the shutdown um, that a lot of stuff isn't coming out because of that. And, mm-hmm. um, so that excuse will go at least sometime within the next month, hopefully. Right, so far. All right. Well, let's uh, shift gears here and jump on to the world stage because a lot of the news was looking uh, off, off off towards da- Davos. And the big action this week was the World Economic Forum, their annual conference that uh, started January 22nd and ends today. And right out of the gate, the news for the environment from the forum's global risk report in 2019 was not good, and you noticed it immediately. What did you see there? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. What although there's a lot of talk, um, certainly about climate, and the forum actually listed climate change in its top one, in the top five problems that they see coming up uh, over the next year. And in in a sense, it was three of the top five uh, problems that they saw because they also talked about food security, 
and resource security um, and economic security. And you can't you can't talk about those things um, without also talking about climate change. But what I saw to be the really disturbing thing, there were two there were two disturbing trains of thought, if you will. The mm -hmm. first one was that uh, they've been doing a survey and. Business interests have been indicating that they're not much interested in climate change anymore, at least for at the moment, and right. which seems to be actually counter to a lot of things that are going on in the rest of the world, including here in the United States, where um, governors, for example, even though the, the Democrats or the uh, president may not be worried about it, but everybody else seems to be, and the, and the polls have shown a really keen interest in U.S. businesses being attentive to climate change. So I think that, that the fact that the international survey um, took the interest levels down to low last year should be a, a point of concern for people. The other thing that we saw was, um, and it's, this is similar to what we saw in Poland under the uh, COP24 meeting as well, that there are countries now talking much more softly about climate change. In, in the case of the forum, um, president, the new president of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, had indicated that this is a new era for them. I mean, he he is the same kind of populist and Trump is, and so he's going to open up. At least he's, uh, he's he's given a lot of notice that he's going to be opening the Amazon to business, and this should be a world problem. Uh, mm -hmm. All the scientists are basically in agreement that the Amazon is the lungs of Earth, and um, he's. He doesn't care, is, is right. the way it goes. And we saw the same thing in Poland as well, where coal, uh, coal countries like Poland, um, they're going to do what they can for climate change, but they're not going to rapidly uh, phase out their coal interests. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it is what it is, and I think that this is something um, that be a problem going forward. Um, once, you know, once you set your your core infrastructure in a certain direction, it's going to be very difficult to turn it away from that. Absolutely. Well, the report put it really succinctly, and, and I, I'm going to read the quote. It says, of all risks, it is in relation to the environment that the world is most clearly sleepwalking into catastrophe. And that mm. just, of course, strikes to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, yeah. that's exactly right. And yeah. I mean, it's... Time is time is not on our side at this moment, and right. um, we're going to. I mean, the world is going to be chasing this, this train um, as it gets a little bit further and further away from us. It, right. I mean, well, it, they, it should be it, it should be the concern that of the scientists and everybody else that you just quoted. Absolutely. So this the, the report also you know they make this sort of broad discussion about. Um, calling for domestic and this coordinated international action in order to you know, make up that time. But at the very same time, it's a warning that that goal is challenged because we're putting so much energy into um, consolidating control. And, uh, you know, just like we're doing here in the U.S. is pulling back from international cooperation. And, and that's just going to make our response that much weaker and and there's a huge risk um, it is and, and uh, it is absolutely and i think the other thing that's happening that we sometimes forget is that the political scene is changing as well i mean i've written before on on 
populism being bad for the environment. We even see that, not only do we see it in Poland and, and in some of the other places, but look at France. I mean, the Yellow Vest um, protest had to do with the price of energy. And um, uh, France has backed off of what its leadership role on the environment, and so has Germany. I mean, Germany is now in a position where um, populists there are coming forward as well, and they're all calling um, for going back kind of to the to the, the fossil fuel way, if you will, because there are costs associated for consumers, and people don't want to pay it. We saw that in the uh, election, in the uh, November election, where the Washington voters turned down the uh, uh, the carbon tax proposal for the second right. time. Yeah. Well, the report, uh, the global risk report, also points to this, you know, the, the issue of the time, you know, saying because the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says, and recently really highlighted, we have 12 years to 2030 to make this the changes needed to meet the the goals for uh, limiting the global average temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. So um, that that 12-year theme is really going to pop up a lot this year. And um, you, you're you seeing uh, scientists pushing back on that notion, right? Yeah, I, I am. Um, and I have to admit, I was somewhat, I was more than somewhat surprised. I was surprised. Well, mm-hmm. The scientists were, were pushing back, um, again, on the Green New Deal, which, which is premised, as you suggested, on the 12-year um, time span. And I think that the pushback is going to is going to increase, and I'm not sure if it's going to increase because of the science, or if it's beginning if the pushback is going to increase because people start to get worried about if you keep saying we have to do this by 12 years, and we don't do it by 12 years, or people look out to 12 years and say, "Gee, we'll never be able to do that." Right. That maybe they won't do anything, and and it's it's a delicate balance, if you will. Yeah. I think that you and I have spoken before that the administration has actually kind of taken that stance as well. It's not only in the law cases like the student, uh, the, the children's uh, trust lawsuits, um, and and some, and in fact, in, in the suits uh, against oil companies for for damages under torts, the administration is saying, "Look, this is a global problem. We can't do anything about it." Mm-hmm. And so we're just not going to do anything about it. Right. And, uh, and that's how he's justifying um, the use of uh, the support for fossil fuels as well. And, you know, giving out absolute deadlines can be really bad for the, for the, for the policy uh, process. Yeah. Well, so looking uh, at the science on the flip side, you're also noticing uh, some surveys that have cropped up that are finding people's interest or, or their confidence in the science. Is increasing. Exactly, and um, in fact, uh, this could be my next article if you don't mind my plugging it. Mm-hmm. Um, but two two polls uh, surveys came out uh, this week. One from Yale, uh, Yale and George Mason University from their communications programs, um, and another out of the University of Chicago. The University of Chicago poll I found um, really potentially. A, a big deal in how uh, the United States is going to go forward. And what they found was that 
the confidence of uh, the respondents in the survey was a it's a sort of typical survey where you get fifteen hundred opinions, what have you. And what it was showing is that the respondents are having more confidence in climate science than they did five years ago. And the reason that's so important is this, that we know that partisan, uh, the partisan divide on climate is you know, so gaping as to, as to be a canyon. And what polls a couple of years ago uh, that Pew Research put out had indicated that uh, Republicans reflected that um, that uh, the opinion that climate uh, climate change isn't a real problem, but it also carried over to the scientists. So uh, the polls showed that not only did Republicans not think much about climate change, they thought even less about the scientists. Well, now that people are starting to think about the scientists in a much better light, we have the potential for actually cross-aisle participation. As long as they didn't believe the science or the scientists, there's really no way to convince somebody that climate change is real. Mm -hmm. Well, once you start thinking that the scientists are right, then this is going to be a reason for people to vote across the aisle. Mm -hmm. And so I actually see this as, as the biggest thing in attitude in the last decade. Mm -hmm. uh, again, because it gives us an opportunity to actually convince somebody that something bad is happening and we need to do something about it. Right. The other thing that the, the polls showed was that personal experience um, has now raised people's belief in climate change. And um, that's, that's another problem that has been traditional. Yeah, uh, that's huge. Yeah, huge. I mean, that's yeah. right. That people always thought it was somebody else's problem yeah. or the problem wouldn't occur in our lifetime or the lifetime of our grandchildren. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's nothing like a near-term harm to get people moving again. And yeah. so I think that both of those things, and it was interesting, too, that the surveys weren't coordinated. Um, so we have two separate surveys coming out with essentially um, the same conclusions. So, mm -hmm. so I think it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we were talking about that 12-year horizon and people thinking of it as a hard deadline and, well, we'll just never be able to meet that. Well, the NRDC just released a study absolutely directly um, addressing that issue. The study is called Realizing the Promise of Paris. And it's got this analysis showing that implementing certain actions on a global scale puts the world on track for uh, this emissions pathway that's needed by 2030. Uh, and they, you know, they're basically saying... We're, we're on track in some respects. We need to focus a little more on other things, and we need to really, really focus on this other uh, set. And what, if we do that, we'll get there. What were some of the near-term priorities that they, they mentioned? Right. So, uh, so we said, they say we're on track with uh, like setting market activity on renewable development and shifting away from coal build-out. But at the same time, they say we need to continue to scale up the deployment of renewables. So they're just like faster, faster, faster. Um, and also we need to scale up cutting emissions from oil and gas development. Uh, another thing they called for is accelerating EVs, which is sort of a no-brainer. In fact, I heard um, the Vermont governor 
gave a budget address yesterday, and he's calling for $1.5 million in EV rebates, which he says is going to put um, EVs, quote, within reach of Vermonters. I I think he's a little bit off the mark with that because, you know, I mean, Vermonters are not the richest of the people in the world. Um, But, you know, that that one and a half million is not going to produce the results necessary to save the money he's talking about because Vermonters spend, you know, over a billion dollars a year on gas and he's hoping to translate that savings to, you know, migrating it to electricity and it's just not going to happen. Um, But also the report says we need to have a much more, uh, a better focus on deploying, for example, near zero emissions uh, from buildings, and as you had mentioned earlier, shifting to a less meat-intensive diet, right? Because that food systems, they absolutely come into it. Um, So, you know, the the bottom line from the report is we're we're on track. We shouldn't uh, shouldn't catastrophize getting back to we're sleepwalking into catastrophe. If we you know, breathe a little and look at what we're doing and look at a nice set of goals and, and march forward with them, but we all have to play together in order to get there. Well, that's right. And, and I have to, I mean, all the news isn't bad. The uh, um, National Conference of Mayors is in uh, town this week, and um, they sent over to Congress, actually, um, correspondence saying that they would like to see some kind of national environmental uh, policy being passed this year. And the same thing has been happening with the government as well. But, um, and the states are picking up a certain amount of the slack, or the slack, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, and, which is a good thing. And not only because of what it accomplishes, but it also keeps things moving in the front pages and I think ultimately will help kind of span the, uh, again, the partisan divide. Um, the one thing I actually worry about on that, but this is a kind of a counterpoint to that, going back to the executive orders, I don't know that the White House won't be coming out with some executive orders that actually threaten, um, threaten in the sense that they, they, they challenge the states not to do um, support activities for uh, renewable energy and what have you. And mm-hmm. um, the only way that the administration should be able to do some of the things that it wants to is to preempt uh, state programs. And so that may be another battle that's opening. But, but again, I think it's actually to the good side. Um, because the states are going to stand up uh, certainly a lot more than the federal government has um, to the need for transitioning to a low-carbon economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I just saw oh, maybe Illinois, their governor said, hey, yes, you need right. to sign up uh, uh, to the Paris side of things and uh, and move forward in that direction. So I thought that was a good... Yeah, and, and, and in fact, I read something this morning, too, that... Um, it's an election result that I, I think that um, not enough attention has been paid to. In Michigan, um, the, the governor and the attorney general uh, are Democrats, in other words, they won't be Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, attorney General Nessel um, is now filing uh, with the court um, a request to pull out of the uh, court cases challenging the uh, clean power plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as, as, as Democrats come in um, to the attorney general spots, especially, um, I think what's going to happen is some states are going to start pulling back 
from legal cases that are already going on. So it, mm-hmm. this may help to to kind of settle things down as far as um, energy and environmental policy is concerned. As long as they're stuck in the courts, nothing's going to happen. So right. Uh, right. this is going to be an interesting trend to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think that that pretty much covers what we wanted to uh, today. Getting from from Washington uh, Washington onto the global stage is a lot there. Uh, and listeners can send us any comments or thoughts by tweeting hashtag zero net fifty. Uh, thanks so much, Joel, for your time today. Well, thanks for thanks for talking to me today. <laughs> Absolutely, and thanks everyone for joining us. Have a great day.